Hello, and welcome to a new episode of Other Record Labels. I'm your host, Scott Orr, where we talk about the art and culture of running an independent record label. And today is another episode in this incredible series called Artists on Labels, where we've got to talk with some incredible artists, including today's guest, The Baths. Now, let me tell you a little bit about The Baths. If you're a fan of indie music, you probably are familiar with them. And, you know, whether or not you're familiar with them and their previous two albums, but um, you've probably been hearing a lot about them in the past year or so. And what I think is amazing, and let me tell you how I kind of not discover music, but pay attention to music because, it, it, you know, for a lot of us, we're on social media and we have a lot of, you know, if you're in the music industry, then you follow writers and journalists and publicists and curators and other record labels and you follow musicians. And so you're hearing about new music like probably a hundred times a day. And so for me, I need to have some sort of like system, uh, albeit subconscious system, where how do I know what I should pay attention to? And so I kind of have this thing where it's like, listen, I need to see it like seven or eight times <laughs> organically. And then I'd be like, you know what? I probably need to pay attention to this. And I'm not talking about ads or tour dates or things that the labels or the artists even post, although that helps. Those are different touch points. And what I'm talking about here actually is something that we've talked about in our marketing course, we've talked about in a lot of our marketing material is having these multiple touch points with listeners and potential listeners and with fans and with people, especially on social media. But it could be like a friend of mine is going to see the Baths in Toronto or um, I hear them on a local indie radio station or I see them in a in a you know a magazine that comes in the mail or something like that on top of some of my friends or some of the journalists that I respect on Twitter talking about it. These are these multiple touch points. And so for me, I, I honestly I have this like subconscious um, cultural taste barometer that I, I kind of use. And the best is this band where, with their album expert in Dying Field. Um, and maybe by the time you're listening to this, they have two or three albums since then, but it doesn't matter. But um, this album cover, again, another reason why I put a lot of emphasis on album covers, because this album cover just kept showing up in my feed from various different people. And I'm not talking about ads or people that were paid to talk about it. We're talking about like this organic reach of people talking about this record to a point where I'm like, you get you get frustrated. And you're like, I'm going to listen to this record so we can finally decide if if everyone's trolling me. I need to know why is everyone talking about this record, right? It's a little bit of that FOMO thing, and the same thing with TV shows. Uh, and all of a sudden, this happened to me. I listened to this record overdue. Like, I mean, everybody's onto it months and months before me, and I finally like cave and listen to this record, and it's phenomenal. It's phenomenal. It's it's unreal. Um, and it's one of those records that like transcend genres. So if this genre, whatever that genre is, is not your thing, that's okay. The melodies, the lyrics, the music videos. Oh my gosh, the music videos are so good. Um, all, everything is just transcending your normal tastes and you're like, this is excellent. This is perfect. Anyway, I'm talking too much about, sorry about that. But anyway, um, that's who we have on the show today. <laughs> the, the best from Car Park, who, who we love, who we've had on this show as well. Their label, Car Park Records. Um, and I hope you enjoyed today's interviews. I hope that you enjoy, by the way, what I've been talking about is this, these idea of like these releases that kind of transcend all the other releases that happen in the year. We've been super blessed and lucky enough to have uh, multiple uh, artists on this in the past four weeks um, on this show uh, who have kind of achieved that accomplishment. Cause that's something that a lot of us labels really hope to achieve. 
um, a lot of independent artists. That's just to kind of you know make it into that like that moment, that zeitgeist of of indie music for that month or that year or whatever. Um, I know for me, that's kind of just like it's like a little bit of a dream. I don't know if it makes any sense. I don't know if it's a if it's a good goal to have. But to me, it's something special as a music fan when I get to see that happen to artists who deserve it. And so if you're new to the show, thank you. Please subscribe and check out our website, otherrecordlabels.com, including our free toolkit. For anybody, and 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 there's been thousands of people so far who have uh, used our toolkit to kind of explore the idea of starting their own record label, you can download it for free at otherrecordlabels.com slash toolkit. Here's what I want to I want to ask you. Um you seem to have this album cycle that has been consistent so far over the past three albums. And so I'm kind of curious if you have like a fairly rigid schedule of write, record, and tour. Is that something that you like to have structured? It's something that we've had structured so far. It's hard, It's tricky to be like, there is a pattern uh, because... There's like when you have a sample size of three, I guess it's it's hard to um right. And okay. they're all <laughs> quite sure. different. But, but but you're right, they are all two years apart. And our EP even was two came out two years before okay. um our first album. So we Yeah, I don't know. It feels like it feels like a little bit too fast, but also it feels like meeting the uh meeting the, everybody's needs, you know, meeting yeah. our needs, meeting the uh, interest of the audience and everything like that, like it, it, it kind of feels right. But you, you also do kind of wish you had an extra, an extra year up your sleeve. But we always say that we just um, expand to fill whatever space we have anyway. So if we gave ourselves another year, uh, we wouldn't be any more productive. Um, we won't be more productive, but we would still be, would be less productive, wouldn't we? So. We'd be still rushing towards That's, yes. at the very end to try to try and close everything out. Right? Yeah, I know. I see what you're um, saying. I totally see what you're saying. Yeah, and I mean, it's. I guess the problem is, is that the time sneaks up on you. You know, as you're enjoying this album and touring this album, just because of production delays and how long it might take to record or whatever, or if you wanted to give yourself a year, a full year to record, then all of a sudden you realize. Wow! Now we need to start working on something right now. Yeah, I think the 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 thing about it is just that, yeah, like you say, with vinyl delays and things like that, but also just because of the way that the world works, especially for us being in New Zealand, like organizing international tours and and things like that. Mm. Like we're looking at things, you know, a year in advance, sometimes more, and. <laughs> yeah, if you don't, if you, like, if you wait until you have an album in hand and ready to go before you start putting anything in place, yeah. you then you kind of like can't really start planning until <laughs> you know, like, yeah. what what your touring schedule is going to look like, what the release is going to look like. Although it should be said that that is the way that it has to happen for a first album, and that the, if there's anything that this whole, you know, the process of trying to do consecutive albums and on a on time time frames that make sense for everybody and everything has taught us is that first albums are really special. <sighs> you never get another chance to make a first album. Right. Yeah. So the first album, you should just <laughs> make sure that you really like it. Yeah. Oh, that's... Dedicate stuff to it. <laughs> yeah. 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 I no, that is a great point. Uh, let me let me ask you about this album because when an artist 
has an album that is so well received in the way that Expert has been received. That type of success um, or or response from the audience can either paralyze a creative into thinking that they can't top that or maybe they don't want to top it. Or on the other end of the spectrum, um, success like that can motivate someone to try to do even better, like in the way that an athlete tries to beat their personal best. So where do you fall on that spectrum as a creative? I probably fall towards the the former closer okay. <laughs> to that. Um, but that's just because of where my self-confidence levels are generally. Um, and there's a feeling of like a fluking or something that right. you can't really it's hard it's hard to get rid of but um but i feel like we also had this with the first record with our first record where we had a a, a very well received mm. you know for us like it was a it was it was huge for us like we sure. more than i think i realized we realized at the time um just like a positive response and but i i don't know for some reason i was less stressed about the second record because i think i i was we were under a um some time pressure and it meant that we just had to kind of get it done. And that, you know, like logically I knew that like feeling, <laughs> feeling stressed about writing, trying to write a really good record doesn't help you write a good record. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> it kind of only hinders you and you can only kind of make the, you can only really write the record that you're going to write and, and just try your absolute best to write good songs and like try and write as many songs as you can. And so, um, yeah, yeah but I don't know. I felt, I felt the pressure. I feel the pressure more now, I think. Um, and I felt sure. it more for the third album, but we had more time to kind of make the third record because of, we weren't touring as much because it was um, 2021. And right, sure, sure. Kind of a yeah. year at home, so. What makes, thinking forward and thinking with this record, what makes a record or a song something that you're proud of as a creative like how do you i mean obviously there's times where you would cast away a song because it's not good enough for you i don't know i'm, I'm assuming but uh, and maybe something that happens in the studio too but like what how will you know if you you have something that you are excited about mm. um we go through cycles yeah i, th I think it's I, th I think when you're making it, you don't always know, and that's fine. I think you need to know that you're trying your best. I think you need to know that you're um, gradually working towards a version of yourself that you're going to be comfortable with, mm. that you're, you're going to be able to um, accept that version of yourself. Right. Um, and if you know you're working towards that, I think you can keep going, uh, even if it's not quite there. And you, But I think, yeah, ideally by the end of it, um, you go through all of those ups and downs and they are mostly downs and working your way towards an up, you know, like they're mostly, they're mostly challenges. <laughs> sure. Um, there's, it's not all high fives and uh, <laughs> each other around the studio on each other's shoulders because yeah, yeah. you just cracked the guitar solo <laughs> uh, which only ever happens in my imagination <laughs> oh, but um uh the um the the challenges are, are there throughout and if you get to the end of it and you've finished something 
hopefully you've met those challenges and uh, come up with an answer for it. And I think, yeah, you do, you do, you do tend to be quite proud of it. Um, and I think that is essential. Like it's just unlocks everything else. If you can actually l- listen to your own record and, and love it. And yeah, believe that's, in it. that's very true. I, I that's so We've true. got quite, in- well, I think the way that we view it is like making an album is quite different, I suppose, because Jonathan is the one who like records and uh, mixes and produces. Right. Okay. Um, and I, but I write all the songs, and of course, like we're all involved in the arranging and and production and stuff like that. But like, um, obviously, my my part, my major part of the of the album making process is like is a lot earlier, and it's a lot, a lot of it's kind of alone, and I think it, it's. It's just interesting the way, like the, the difference in, and a lot of the album, the end of the album process is you alone, like mixing or mixing with Bevan, sure. mm-hmm. who's a friend mm-hmm. of ours, and it's. Um, I feel like with you there is a real sense of progression of like um becoming a better and better, like uh, engineer becoming a better, better, a better and better producer, and I feel like, I feel like I should feel that progression as well, but I feel like it always it feels a little bit more. There's always this, um element of um feeling like there's a bit of magic or something that i I can't explain and that might just go away Hmm. i think it's personality as well like i just um want to live in a world where there's no magic (laughs) (laughs) i I mean it'd be nice to live in a magical world but i i think i just want to believe that the world can be kind of um can be figured out like the more stuff i figure out anything that i thought was magic and figured out that it's not magic are you talking it, about it, it with mixing? That's more interesting to me. Yeah, I guess so. Yeah, or anything. Okay, sure. Like, you know, um, anything really. But with mixing, if you think it's magic and then you learn like, oh, no, it's actually this thing. <laughs> it's still fascinating. Yeah. It's not that it's not deflating, you know. Yeah. I just find it more and more interesting. So, but I, I don't know. Do you, songwriting is a little bit, the inputs to songwriting are very complex. So it's hard to assess it on that basis i guess well i i want to ask you a little bit about the recording because i i didn't realize that 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 you guys did that and i i love that when a band is and i feel like i can sometimes like i project that i can hear it on their music and it's got to be i mean especially if you can write to how you know you like to produce and how you know like you like to record i mean it's almost got to be as if like the studio then becomes an instrument or even a a member of your band is that true in any way uh, it's like um, I don't know. It's well, yeah. I'd have to think about what the impact of the studio has been. But what I what the experience is definitely like that I can describe is that um, we rehearse stuff and write stuff in the same environment that we get the final version of it in. You know, like nothing really changes. Um. And so I think that uh, lends you to do things in a certain way. And um, it's not a qualitative thing. It's like a, uh, it's, um, it just changes the nature of the music a little bit when you haven't, it almost like removes a bit of a performance element from it because um, you don't have that performance pressure. Um, which can make can can you know can be really challenging mm. um as much as it can be quite uh quite freeing um 
you, you were talking. No, no, that's great. You were talking about the um, the the high fives in the studio, and I kind of imagine this. You say that it doesn't happen. Maybe it does happen, but um, I think <laughs> I think that the um, the the best pre-chorus I've ever heard in many years. I mean, I have to double check, but the pre-chorus of Expert in Dying Field is just mind blowing. Take me in a time machine to that moment that you came up with that pre-chorus. Uh, and like, there had to have been high fives in the studio. I was high fiving no one at the time when I first heard it. <laughs> now, do you wish? Do you mean the? Uh, um, I can't sing it very well, but um, like, is it, I can close the door now. Yeah, yeah. Is that a pre-chorus? Would you call that a pre-chorus, or would you call that? Yeah, a chorus? sure. Okay. Huh, I guess so. I guess I, I would just call it the. <laughs> But um, yeah, uh, I, I mean, I guess that one. I, I remember when I wrote it, being like, "This is good." Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the, the earliest songs are always these like kind of um, real shitty demos that I make by yeah. myself. Okay. Um, on you know on my laptop using using Reaper and just, uh, I really liked the demo version of the song enough that it like I kind of like listened to it by myself, which is like, I think that. I hope it's something that all songwriters do. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's not just a extremely narcissistic no. thing. That, <laughs> that I, like, I was like, I think, I think I really like this one. Yeah, um, this one's a good one. And that's like, I feel like a lot of writing songs is, um, is kind of making moments. I think I don't really know what else to call it, but um, you know, when you like really love a song, it's like it's rare that you actually, uh, you're not listening to every single second of every moment of the song and, and loving it. It's like often often you don't even know the words to certain parts of the songs, even songs yeah. that you think you know really well. Yeah. But there's just these moments that stick out to you. And I feel like it's trying to find those moments. Oh, um, for sure. And trying to write those moments. And that's when you have at least one of them in a, in a kind of an early version of a song, I feel like that's when I kind of feel attached to the song. Well, I, yeah. I think opening, especially as the opening track of a record, I, I just think that was, I know for me, there was, uh, you know, for your record, what was kind of cool, and this happens like once or twice a year, where people are talking about a specific record, and it just shows up in your feed all the time, but very organically, you know what I mean? And that to me is, um, I always have to go check out that record, because it, when it happens just naturally, that's like, oh, that's funny, my friend was talking about that, and now I'm seeing a writer I follow, and, and then another friend is mentioning it, and so that was happening a lot with with your record a couple months ago and and so then naturally I'm like well I don't want to miss out on this and so I listen to that and I'll just like I'll never forget that moment like when that pre-chorus hits that's just like like you're listening to it like oh this is great this is great and then all of a sudden that's such a great moment I just I uh I I'm going to lobby the Grammys for a pre-chorus Grammy so just so that like for uh, a, a yeah. category maybe we'll see well, if we I can. think <laughs> That we've we you know we think about this stuff reasonably deeply and it's um, drawing back the curtain a little bit to say that we kind of do assess our own strengths and weaknesses a little bit and sure. um, you know we, we like I think and we've, this has been talked about Liz is great at writing pre-choruses and pre-choruses are a genre-defining thing as well mm. not all genres do it and True. Um, some. Some styles of music do pre-choruses and they tend to be at the poppier end of the spectrum. It's like uh, a way to do a chorus without doing a chorus or something like yeah. that. And it, it, it's um, adding more repetition. And um, so it's kind of useful for more commercial styles or something perhaps. But um, uh, it, 
it's uh, something that Liz does really well. And uh, we, we something that we take a lot of pride in and consider to be part of the best formula. And then conversely, bridges, extremely hard for us. <laughs> we've made a mood and we've set up the uh, set up the mode of the song and set up the harmonic kind of uh, center of the song and everything. Moving, stepping out of that and stepping into another place for a little while, we find very challenging and just. A, a lot of bridges feel like too much of a sidestep for us. I and, totally agree. You know, we we don't we don't have bridge bravery. Yeah, <laughs> I think that's that's just that just gives gives us more opportunities for guitar solos, doesn't it? Yeah, and that's uh, that's <laughs> probably totally. one of the reasons why we fill the songs with guitar yeah. solos. <laughs> or like, uh, yeah, no, that is so funny. You mentioned that because it's almost as if they are like mortal enemies like the the pre-chorus and the bridge because i i completely agree with you i have this uh, you know, somebody i was working with uh, like 15 years ago in the studio told me that i had showed him a song and he was like oh it's great it just needs a bridge and i was like what and he just said it as if it was like the law that a song is not a song <laughs> until it has a bridge and i just it's so funny like that has always affected me and i'm almost now rebelling against it so i'm very happy to hear you say that and i totally agree about um, I just, I, I don't know where they came from because they really, sometimes they really throw you. Sometimes it's cool, but I don't get it. Uh, there, there's like bands that just like slay them and they just like take take you uh, through a portal into, into another place. <laughs> yeah. well. Like I really love bridges. I just like, I just, I just struggle with them, I think. Yeah, um, but yeah. Like, I wonder if some bands like maybe um, like prog bands or something would like take a melody that they had an, as an idea from another song and use it as a bridge. Have you ever, th has that ever worked? Uh, we, yeah, I don't know. We, um, we, we tend to try to be quite efficient and like recycle ideas as much as possible and have like a quite streamlined, um, set of notes, set of, set of musical language that works for a song to kind of give them some specificity and stuff. But yeah, and expanding that so much, just bridges just expand the palette so much that it's just really challenging. And so I guess, yeah, we, we do try to recycle things um, from within the song. But um, yeah, yeah I, I don't know, Liz, I don't think you're the sort of songwriter that um, necessarily writes three small songs and combines them all into one big song very often not usually but um yeah i feel like we more often when we reach that point like i i consider it like a demo kind of like good enough to show everybody when there's like two verses and and, and a chorus kind of right, thing right and like the song's not finished and i know that like you have to you, sometimes it is finished but like the, the song will usually need to go to another place before it finishes um but that's why but that's when we Usually as a band, we'll work on the song together and that's the point where we'll kind of, maybe it becomes clear that it needs to go to a bridge. Maybe it becomes clear that um, it needs to go to a quiet place. Maybe it becomes clear that the song needs to have some kind of climax after that point. And I feel like mm. it's when we start to arrange it as a band that often those, um, what the, where the song needs to go um, starts to become clear I, I think maybe this this probably has a little bit to do with genre as well because i i kind of associate bridges with 
certain genres, uh, you know, where, where they kind of come out of the bridge and sing a, a third verse or something. It almost just kind of has like a cliche um, connection to a certain genre in the same way that, that your pre-choruses is probably what gives you that slash pop label that some people would say about your music. Like uh, maybe just Bridges, I don't know. We're talking about Bridges too much. <laughs> No, the well, fascinating form and structure is just uh, it's something we talk about all the time. Yeah. And yeah. That and tempo. It's almost the only subjects of conversation in the band. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah. Form and tempo. How do you pick the tempo? Panic, we're absolute panickers about the attention span of our audience. So that, That's I mean, great. Is, yeah, that's great. Have you heard the people say that like in music, like every 30 seconds or something, like something has to change? Have you heard that? Yeah, and Do you I abide think it by that? massively. I think it massively understates the problem. Oh, okay. <laughs> Explain. <laughs> thirty seconds, as if you could do the same thing for thirty seconds without people getting bored. Yeah, no, that's true. Yeah, yeah, that's right. Well, maybe it's maybe it's a set of bars or something. But yeah, maybe it works out too. On no, average, no, 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 whatever it is. <laughs> yeah, this is just me panicking about it. Sorry, I, I feel like you were. Um, you you were wanting to move on from bridges. Th- oh, tempo, yeah, tempo was is the, is the other thing for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In- Trying to find that magic tempo and then actually play it consistently is hard. So mm-hmm. yeah. right, 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 right. Uh, um, okay, so let me um, let me ask you a little bit about um, about COVID because you guys, I know that you had a record before this one that came out during the the pandemic. Um, w- looking back now, um, was that hard? Were there, I mean, obviously it was hard, but were there any positives that, c- that came from having a release that came out of that time now that you can kind of maybe look back a little bit objectively? Yeah, it's weird to think of positives because like it was, like you say, it was strange. Like we, we finished that record, we handed it in on uh, like the 6th of March of 2020 oh so like right before everything, <laughs> everything was rosy <laughs> yeah so we yeah. had a choice and we were like do we release it or not and and how, like for us it was it felt like a pretty obvious we just go ahead with it anyway and we know we can't tour it which that's going to be compromised but i think one kind of small silver lining not that there's it's like great but just yeah. was um that 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 record and the people that it reached, I guess, because maybe a lot of people during that time weren't releasing music because True. people were kind of holding up because of the touring thing and stuff like that. Um, maybe it got a like a bit more reach and like that same kind of like organic reach, and it's become a record that when we ended up touring it, like two years later, we, we we've toured it this year, this like that record internationally for the first time. Um, wow! And it's just really interesting to tour to people who have have like sat with that record for a long time and for whom that record i guess um is tied to that particular time which you think would be a bad thing like you, yeah, nobody yeah. wants to have like a, a covid record it was record, a companion but, maybe yeah i think i think it was a companion for some people and i think that that is kind of i would say it's nice but i think it's special and i, I don't take it lightly um are, are, yeah. is there any intention to when you release a record i mean your records have all come out in the summer, essentially. I mean, counting September. Um, you, you talk about picking tempo, but like, do you do you care when your album comes out? Do you think about that? There's some practical reasons to do things at certain times, but um, 
A big part of it is just this, uh, like Liz says, small sample size accidental sort of, um, <laughs> uh, uh, cycle that we seem to be on where we finish albums around uh, around the uh, new year. And um, as you've quite rightly said, you can't put an album straight out uh, unless you're very brave. Mm-hmm. And so you um, have to kind of gear up for putting an album out. And then that seems to be sort of summerish um, northern hemisphere that it, that 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 happens right um sorry so, that was uh yeah. <laughs> I was... yeah but what the interesting byproduct of that is that we end up doing a headline tour in the northern hemisphere in pretty much high winter yeah yeah uh, <laughs> That's right. which also once again i think is appreciated by people and uh, maybe is sort of um might turn into something uh you know um might be something we can reflect on as more meaningful than it initially feels like uh like it feels quite arbitrary really but um but the uh the day will come when we get snowed in and it all comes and um (laughs) comes and bites us but (laughs) <laughs> Thankfully, it hasn't happened yet, but it's probably only a matter of You're time. Right. People, the cycle we're on. People do love to go to shows in in the winter here because it's they're warm inside, and uh, and the, that's the only reason they get out. So I kind of relate to that <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Um, tell me a, a little bit about coming to Car Park because I, I would just want to bring it on home to about record labels before I let you go. But um, we had taught on this show last year, actually um, you had self-released something originally on SoundCloud. Is that right? Can you tell me about that initial courtship and how that came to be? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's cool. You had Todd on. He's a great guy. He's a yeah. strange man and we love him very much. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. We, so we released an EP back in 2016, which was, um, very much uh, just a self-released, you know, we were a local indie band in Auckland playing at the dive bars and we'd done uh, one show in Wellington as well. Mm. <laughs> and I think around, you know, it was just, it was an exercise in, um, I don't know, making and releasing music, which we had all been doing for a long time with with different projects and things, um, uh, other bands that we'd been parts of. And so it was, especially for me, it was like, you know, I was booking, booking a national tour of New Zealand with like a whopping four dates. It's a small country. (laughs) And, um, and yeah, just, we did that in 2016 and, you know, you expect to get a bit of local press or something and keep, you keep playing and, and that's it. And that was, that was true. Like, I think we pressed 300 CDs and, uh, it took me, and t- it took us until like halfway through 2018, so two and a half years to sell them all. <laughs> oh wow! Well, yeah, I believe that's the is it the only CD pressing that we did of that EP, and I just found five more. Oh what? wow! Yeah, cleaned out the studio. Let's and found auction Five them. more with the original, <laughs> with the um, non misprint uh, CDs as well. Oh, amazing! Mm. Oh, that's um, great. There you go. There so, you go. Uh, and it's like after that we were gold. <laughs> Um, we had a we had a lot of songs at that point. So by the time we were touring that EP, a lot of the songs that would be on um, on our first record, "Future Me Hates Me," were already in our set. They're mm. already being played. Um, and you know, it was "Future Me Hates Me" was a was a first album in that like 
yeah, almost all of those songs, with the exception of I think River Run, we we had played live many times by the time that we recorded the album, um, and by the time that they and then the album came together over like a year and a half, maybe, um, recording on weekends, recording in afternoons, and things like that when we weren't working, because um, we were all just you know doing day jobs. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then we 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 put out one song on that EP, whatever, and it, it like uh, on a subreddit, there was some love for it. Oh, that's right. Yeah. And it was sort of just enough to give us a bit of... Um, we got a bit of like Bandcamp love. We got a bit of um, Reddit kind of listen to this love. And it gave, definitely gave us some encouragement, although I always thought that Liz was genius, but um, <laughs> the uh, little bit of... Um, you know, Confirmation. it was just a good, good little bit of uh, encouragement just at the yeah. right time. But we we eventually um, did decide we kind of wanted to tour the record overseas and um, have a go at it. And uh, um, we had the goal of playing the the similar venue to the local dive bar, the Whammy Bar, which fits about 170 people. We wanted to play that club in 40 cities around the world. <laughs> That was our. That's a good that was goal. our lofty. Good. Yeah. That was success. We, oh that sure. Was pie in the sky dream. Yeah, that was our stretch goal <laughs> in the uh, <laughs> Silicon Valley parlance. <laughs> um, and so we, you know, we, we sort of set about trying to find out if maybe we could get an international release for the album as well. And Car Park was literally our our number one um, record label that, oh, that we were great. hoping because they had worked with a few New Zealand bands before, so we kind of knew that there might be a way in somewhere. And um, Signer and Pop Stranger and... Uh, yeah, yeah. This is on. Um, There's the New Zealand Connection, I think. Yes, Introverted Dance Floor, who's the same Signer. Um, and... Uh, and just, so did you go you through know, a recommendation or did you send like to the general submission inbox we sent to the general which i i also did for many many labels so if you if you a band who's done that i've also done that just like yeah sending off <laughs> dozens and dozens of uh, emails and getting literally zero responses um except oh for gosh. from car park who it, um apparently todd did hear, hear it in the um in the general emails but he also got recommended it by a friend of ours so a friend of ours who who has a long connection with Todd, uh, who's the, the owner and operator of Car Park um, Records, uh, he, uh, unbeknownst to us, had sent it along to Todd as well, uh, which which is probably the thing that does, yeah. yeah. When you say sent it, it was a little short playlist of some of the songs from the from the new album. Mm. Yeah, mm. Well, that's, mm, yeah that probably helps a lot. I think I think it does. I think that's the world we live in. Um, but uh, it was, you know, completely uncomplicated and um, and lovely relationship from that point. Basically, you know, they got in touch with us. He sent us an email, and I I didn't reply for a couple of days because I thought it was fake. <laughs> well, like my brain just wouldn't let me believe that I actually gotten res- like an actual like positive response. Right. <laughs> I, uh, the response was something like, uh, "We like the record. We're going to take it away and listen to it over the over the holidays because it was Christmas holidays that time. And then we'll be in touch with you in the new year about whether we can we can put it out or not." Mm. 
And so we just went away on holiday and tried not to think about it. Yeah. But tried also to keep scheming because we were trying to book out international tours, our DIY tours and stuff. Wow. Yeah. Wow, that's Um, incredible. So what at the time, like so many artists claim to want a record deal, but they really don't know why in in some ways. Do you remember your state of mind back then? I I, I know that you had this 40-date tour, but... Uh, do you remember what you felt like, uh, why you needed a label at the time, or, or or what you thought you were missing? I think we just, we wanted, um, like, we're so isolated in New Zealand. And I know that we live in a world where you can just kind of release something into the world and have it um, kind of go viral or something. Yeah. And, you know, you don't need a, necessarily to be working with a label at all. But um, I don't know, it, it just, we thought it couldn't hurt and we liked the idea, I think, especially with like alternative music and guitar music, of there's like these independent labels where you feel like you are part of a team or part of a um, sure part of something, part of a yeah. like a, a global music community, which is something that we you know were listening to and 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 but you know it's hard to be a part of that when you're uh, just as isolated as as, as New Zealand is. Mm. Mm. Last question. No, I think we were raised. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. Yeah, no, yeah, fi- you go finish on. your thought. Go ahead. Oh, I, th- I think we were pretty realistic that that you know the label's not going to change share of fortunes too much, but that um, uh, we had seen the the work that they did for especially the New Zealand band Pop Strangers that they had released a record that we thought was really great, and uh, when they were playing in Auckland, New Zealand, we thought they were great and that they um, could do well overseas. And Carpark took the record and took it out to a big audience, a reasonably big audience for indie music. And um, and we just thought, these people get it. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. No, that's really... We're reasonably traditional, our album, sort of album-focused kind of uh, bodies of work that we... That's good. Feel yeah. stand up Something on their own. Something that is worth noting is that you had previously in like a, a band that you were in before had been part of a, like a major label... Uh, a band that was signed to a major label, and so you had some like oh, interesting. some trauma and some <laughs> uh, some n- just knowledge of like what you wanted out of a label deal if we were going to get one, and what what you know what it all meant, and what was a good deal, and what was being shafted. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I kind of been through that. Yeah. So you had a record done completely when you were talking with Car Park. If things kind of fell through with them. What was your timeline? Like, were you willing to submit it to them and then wait um, for their timeline? Because I know a lot of labels like that would be, nowadays would be more than a year in advance. But um, what was your plan if things didn't go through with them? We had sort of already made some of our own plans. And I think this is a real strength. Like if 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 you've got some plans and you've, it's sort of, shows to people that you're really motivated and it also means that you've got some terms which are your own terms yeah, which yeah, you can yeah. kind of work <laughs> from you know sure and even if they're naive it's uh it's just good to make those plans and and like have a really good honest go at executing them not just sort of um pretend or anything like that but so we we sort of had our plans which was to release the album independently if we didn't find anyone else somewhere around the middle of the year. So I think we we had worked out that we'd saved up enough money that we could do real basic DIY tours and not the 40 dates uh uh dive bar tours but the um the uh 
10, 10 ish dates of uh, 40 people in the room, that kind of thing. <laughs> um, we, we worked out we could do that kind of tour in, in the UK, one in the UK and one in the States with the mm. amount of money that we'd saved up. And, um, wow. Uh, and, that, and that at that point, we could independently release the album. And, um, you know, if that, if that went fine, then we could, in a, a few months of working away, we could probably try to do it again. Try to do it again, yeah. And just trying to keep build, keep build it up that way um, through playing live in front of people and just trying, trying to do it DIY. And so we'd kind of put that plan in motion already when we started talking with Car Park which was, what, January of 2018 or something like that. It was late 2017. Late yeah. 2017. They, so that they, they quickly kind of cottoned on to the fact that we wanted things to happen reasonably. Like we were ready to go. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. Um, and so they came up with the scheme of like, well, let's put the EP out. Let's kind of like re-release the EP under the car park uh, label. Okay, um, cool. And we'll do that in order to try and support your first tours. And then um, we'll have that album hot on its heels in, in uh, about August or something like that. So, right. so that's what happened is like that they re-released the EP in April, April. We put out the first single from the new album with the album announced in, in May and then a few more singles and then the album came out in July or August. And all of that ah. was uh, Car Park's good scheming, really. It was, yeah. a, it was a good idea and not something we could have done by ourselves. You know, you can't independently re-release something in a meaningful yeah. way. So. Yeah. Oh, that's really cool. Um, it wasn't as long then. I think the wait for making vinyl back then was something like five months to be very safe, whereas now it's you know nine months to a year. Sure, yeah. Oh, that's a good point. Um, were there labels you grew up admiring, or or were you completely oblivious to the logos on the back of CDs? Um, I didn't know a lot about them. Like you, you, you just all I knew was like there were bands that I liked and they were on labels. So there's were names that I recognized, you know, like yeah. Saddle Creek or um Right. Uh obviously Flying Nun is a name in New Zealand. Um uh, yeah, I don't know. I wasn't a huge label head. So. <laughs> no, that's cool. That's cool. Listen guys, thank you so much for doing this. It's such an honor to chat with you guys and um even today just kind of going through all of your stuff and 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 seeing everything that's happened just like within the past couple of months it's just it's really cool to see that and congratulations on everything thanks so much thanks scott thank you all for listening and i hope you enjoyed this series and thank you to the Beths for being on the show and a shout out to car park their record label um an incredible label that we've had on the show so you can go back and listen to that episode as well you know what's crazy is that when a new episode comes out um, that episode, like on, on a Tuesday, that episode gets the most amount of downloads, obviously, but the equal amount, usually it's equal amount of downloads of previous episodes. And I find that so encouraging because what that means is people are reminded of the show on Tuesdays or they discover the show and they're like, oh, I want to go back and listen to these select episodes. So thank you so much for being a listener. Thank you for being a subscriber. If you've ever done a star rating on Spotify, that's awesome. Or a written review on uh, iTunes, that's also awesome, especially if it is very kind. Um, thank you very much for being a listener. Head over to otherrecordlabels.com and see what's new because I'm updating it three or four times a week with new articles, new downloads from free downloads. Um, our courses are there as well. And you can join our mailing list as well. 
So lots of call to actions here. And of course, um, if you haven't already, uh, check out the Beth's latest record, Expert in a Dying Field. <laughs>